Good morning, everybody. My name is Spencer Meisner. Uh, I get the privilege of serving as pastor of senior high and young adults. And because I've already been asked a few times today, I did not mean to match Kevin. We just were both white male pastors. And I think <laughs> that's just, just the way we dress, I guess. I didn't know that when I signed up for this job. Um, we are currently in a series called 50 Days, as Kevin mentioned, um, going from the 50 days uh, from the resurrection of Jesus when he rose from the dead after he had died been raised to life again until Pentecost, which is the, the day that um, the church at that time was given this Holy Spirit. And that was last Sunday, and so now we're just finishing off this series, and like Kevin mentioned, today is Trinity Sunday. And so uh, I get the privilege of teaching on something that none of us really understand, uh, the Trinity. And so um, I'm going to do a little bit of crowdsourcing for this. And so to give you a little in- intro to what that is, um, we often use imagery to talk about the Trinity. Okay, so the Trinity is, is God the Father, uh, Jesus Christ the Son, and God the Spirit, or the Holy Spirit, would be the names that we use for these things. It's this weird thing that we don't get, uh, that is, it's, a, it's three persons in one God, and it's very confusing. And so we often use imagery to talk about it. So as an example, the imagery of, of the Trinity being like an egg, right? Where there's the shell, there's the white, there's the yolk. So it's three different parts, but it's all one egg. Okay, so what I want you to do is turn to someone around you, either in front, behind, beside, and just talk about one of the best images that you have heard of to describe the Trinity, and then I'll ask you to shout some out in a minute. So you got a minute to talk about that with people around you. All right, if you are so bold, I would love it if, if you would just shout out one of these images, and we'll try to unpack it together. Neapolitan ice cream. Okay, yeah. So it's chocolate. It's strawberry, it's vanilla, but it's all the same ice cream. Good. Water, steam, and ice. So water comes in a few different forms, right? Liquid, gas, solid, but it's all water. Okay, good. A fidget spinner. Okay, so for anybody over the age of 20, um, a fidget spinner is this thing that you hold in your hand. It's got three sides to it, and I guess... Because there's three sides, it's all, it's still one fidget spinner. Is that kind of where you're going? Sure. Okay. Good. Yes. Some, and you spin it and it looks like one thing. Right. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Another one. A three leaf clover. Okay. So it's, a, it's the same leaf, but it's got three sides to it, three leaves on it. Okay. Good. So I've kind of set you guys up for failure because none of those are right. <laughs> um, but neither is mine because the reality is we're trying to put human constructs on something that I, I think is way above our capacity of understanding. So I'd love to just walk off the stage and be like, the Trinity is, we can't understand it, and then go. Um, but that wouldn't work. Uh, so the reality is that we have, even if you think about the word Trinity, that's not in the Bible anywhere. That is a word that we have given this three-person God that is still one God while being three, it's something that we've tried to put our own words on to make sense of this. Even when we use this imagery, right? Like, like I said, an egg, for example. I don't eat eggs. So this is conjecture on my part. 
But when you hard boil an egg, you take the shell off, right? And you throw it away. Or if you make eggs in any form, you kind of throw it away or you get rid of the whites or the yolk or something. So to use that analogy is like, it's, it's kind of good, but you're also, it can exist just fine without another part of it, right? Even the water analogy is, and I, I'm not just picking on you, it's, it's in my notes to tear this apart. So I'm sorry that you, that you were the one who said it. But even for water, right? If you have a cup of water, you can't make it all three of those things. You can't make it liquid, solid, and gas while still being the same cup of water, right? It's just one, it's one of those things. It doesn't exist as three. So the reality is we don't understand the Trinity and the amount of, no matter how many human kind of images we try to give it, it's not going to make a lot of sense. So when we, the best way to do this, I think, is to try to figure out how the Trinity works is to look to Scripture and to people who are much smarter than all of us to make sense of it. So we see the, the Trinity work together in Matthew 3 at Jesus' baptism, okay? So the Son is there, he's walking around, and he decides to get baptized. This is what it says. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So it's an interaction of the Trinity, where the Son is there, Jesus is there, he's baptized, the Holy Spirit comes out of heaven, shows up the same place that Jesus is, and God shows up and speaks from heaven and says, this is my Son, I am pleased. They are all together in this space, and the people around them get to see them or hear them together in this space. Um, Another point that I think is pretty integral to understanding the Trinity, understanding how we fit into this, is looking all the way back to Genesis 1. So when God created the world and created humans, there's actually... Sorry, I'm going to move this around my massive ears a little bit to try and make it sound okay. Um, there is a point where the Trinity is there. So when we think of the story of, of the creation of man, the Bible says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So there is plural language being used in this, right? We often think of... God created the heavens and earth, God created man, God created, God created, God created. And that's true, but the Trinity is actually present there, right? We know, as in Genesis, we hear about the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And uh, later in, I believe it's 1 John, we hear that Jesus was present at creation. So when, when God uses the terminology, us, let us make man in our image, my logical brain goes to, okay, well, who was there with him? Right? So at that point, nature had been created and animals had been created, but I don't think God's looking at this raccoon next to him going, let's make man in our image, right? It's not, it's not that. He's not looking at the trees and the three-leaf clovers or four-leaf clovers and saying, let's make man in our image. He's talking with the Trinity. And so when, he, when we say we are made in the image of God, that's true, but I think we're also made in the image of the Trinity because that's what Scripture tells us. It says, let us make man in our image. So I think we might even have to readjust our thinking to say that we're actually made in the image of the Trinity, which is confusing because it's three parts and I'm one person, which is fair and a very valid confusion. So let's look at each member of the Trinity individually then. Let's break it down. Let's look at them individually and figure out where we fit in all of this and what each person of the Trinity means to us as people who believe in it. So these are taken from uh, the MB Confession of Faith. So what that is, this is the MB Church, a Mennonite Brethren Church. And uh, the, the MB Church, many years ago, 
um, got together and wrote this thing called the Confession of Faith, which is basically to say these are kind of the principles and the things that we believe in if, as, as a church that would label themselves as Mennonite Brethren. So uh, if you're here, you're sub, or unconsciously agreeing to everything, just so you know, um, that's in here. I'm just kidding. Sorry, that was a weird joke. Um, you're not subconsciously agreeing to it, but if you choose to be a member of this church, for example, the, the encouragement would be to read it because then you actually are subconsciously saying, okay, I agree with what's in here. So let's look at what these people said about God the Father. It says this, it should be on the screen as well. God the Father is the source of all life. In Him we live and move and have our being. The Father seeks those who will worship Him in spirit and truth and hears the prayers of all who call on Him. In the fullness of time, the Father sent the Son for the salvation of the world. Through Jesus Christ, the Father adopts all who respond in faith to the gospel, forgiving those who repent of their sin and entering into a new covenant with them. God gives the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, to all his children. God's creative and redemptive love sustains this world until the end of the age. The first thing I noticed when I read this is that it's not just talking about God. Right? Jesus is in there, as is the Holy Spirit. Which I think lends to this idea that the three are so intrinsically close, and they matter so much to each other, that it's hard to think of them existing separately. So even in our best explanation of who God is, we have to understand the other two in order to make sense of that. Right? So what do we learn from this? Well, we learn that God is the source of life. That he's the only reason that we are here. As we read in creation, he's the one who created us. There is that trinity um, movement towards creating us, and God is largely a part of that, obviously. He's the reason we exist. And he offers us salvation, which is through his Son. Then you start to see this utilization of other parts of the Trinity, right? The Son is what gives us salvation that comes through the Father. Part of that is the Holy Spirit. There's all these things that work together to use this Trinity for us. We learn that he adopts us, and that again, that he sends the Son and the Spirit out to us in order to benefit us. Let's look at God the Son, who many of us would call Jesus, and we'd be maybe the most familiar with out of these three persons of the Trinity. The Son, through whom all things were created and who holds all things together, is the image of the invisible God. Conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, Jesus took on human nature to redeem this fallen world. He revealed the fullness of God through his obedient and sinless life. Through word and deed, Jesus proclaimed the reign of God, bringing good news to the poor, release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind. Christ triumphed over sin through his death and resurrection and was exalted as Lord of creation and the church. The Savior of the world invites all to be reconciled to God, offering peace to those far and near and calling them to follow him in the way of the cross. Until the Lord Jesus returns in glory, he intercedes for believers, acts as their advocate, and calls them to be his witnesses. We learn from this that Jesus holds this world together. That is an integral part of who he is and actually, obviously, of who we are because he's the one that continues this world spinning, holds everything together, sustains it, and gives it life. We also know maybe what is most important from this is that, that Jesus is the image of God, right? He is God's present, presence on earth or was God's presence on earth while he was here on earth. And then if we ever need to look to understand who God is, we look to Jesus, right? We often say 
maybe not often anymore, but we'll say something like, what would Jesus do, right? Which is good and appropriate in thinking about how we would act. The great part of that is Jesus is probably thinking, what would my father do? Where when we act like Jesus, we are in turn acting like the father because Jesus is acting like the father. He is the image of that God. If we want to know anything about God, we look to Jesus because he is the image of that. He, he helps us understand what God is like. He is the revelation of God to human beings. Um, in order for us, like I said, to understand God, we can look to Jesus. We can look to these words that are written about him and know how he is in a day-to-day, everyday basis. There's some miracles thrown in there too. Let's talk about God the Holy Spirit, something we have been talking about often at this church over the last uh, number of Sundays. Uh, the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, is the creative power, presence, and wisdom of God. The Spirit convicts people of sin, gives them new life, and guides them into all truth. By the Spirit, believers are baptized into one body. The indwelling Spirit testifies that they are God's children and distributes gifts for ministry, empowers for witness, and produces the fruit of righteousness. As Comforter, the Holy Spirit helps God's children in their weakness, intercedes for them according to God's will, and assures them of eternal life. So if Jesus was the presence of God on earth for those 30-some years that he was on earth, the Holy Spirit is that presence of God on earth right now and in all of us. The presence of God still exists on this earth in the form of the Holy Spirit. We also know that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. He, He guides us, shows us where to go, illuminates the path in front of us to direct us. And he's also the seal or the marking of being a follower of Jesus or of being a child of God. You know, like if you go to the store and you buy something, you get a receipt, right? And the Holy Spirit's kind of like this receipt for a free thing that we didn't buy. We we receive salvation from God the Father through Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit is this receipt that we hold on to to say, look, I have this, because it's now in us. He gives us gifts, he empowers us, and I think my my favorite thing is that obviously he comforts us, but he intercedes for us in ways when we don't know what to pray, we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit groans for us on our behalf to the Father. Sometimes in my hardest times when I just say to God, like, God, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to pray for this right now. But I trust that your Holy Spirit is interceding for me, praying for me, while I just am speechless. That's a really cool part of what the Holy Spirit does. So, every Sunday that I, that I preach, um, I like to spend um, that morning in the shower just listening. So, I do all my sermon prep beforehand, and then a lot of it changes Sunday morning while I'm in the shower for 10 or 15 minutes. Um, I like to use that time to just say, Holy Spirit, just if there's stuff I gotta throw away from the sermon, if there's stuff I gotta add, Tell me now, not because this is your last chance, but like I'm just giving you, I'm, I'm opening myself to this space right now. Uh, it's nice because I'm alone. Uh, I'm, well, mostly alone, I guess, until my son like opens the curtain and waves at me. Um, but it's, it's quiet, it's warm, it feels nice, you know, and then I can just say, okay, Spirit, if there's more things, tell me. Or if I got to chuck a page of it, tell me. Uh, and this morning, I, I did that again, and I really felt compelled to tell this story 
and talk about how it has affected my understanding of the Trinity. So a lot of you would know uh, my backstory, where I came from. I've shared that a number of times from the front. And uh, this January, I had a chance to meet my biological father for the first time. <clears throat> so my understanding of God as Father has always been very weird. Uh, and I know there'd be many of you who would feel that way too. Um, I didn't know, I, I, whenever I thought of God as Father, that wasn't a comforting thing to me. Um, I didn't have a father. Uh, and so I didn't know how to react. And so last June... Uh, we had a staff retreat um, where uh, Marianne, one of our, our missions pastor, asked us to spend about an hour on our own and gave us this guide that I promptly threw away um, about how to hear from the Holy Spirit in that moment. And so I, I went outside and I sat in a park and I took a journal with me. And I'm, I'm not a, I don't journal, so I know this was <laughs> something that the Spirit was really working in me because it was very different than what I normally do. And I just started writing down questions. Um, I just had all these questions that were circling in my head that I hadn't really given my, myself space to think through. And the, I got to this question of like, is it important for me to meet my biological father? And I stopped. And I just thought, no, I don't want to do that <laughs> at all. I really don't want to do that. Um, and then out of that sort of flowing more questions like, is it important to my son for me to meet him? Is it important for my wife? for me to meet him? Is it important for my understanding of God as Father for me to meet this man? So I came back with these questions to our staff and just said, "Here, I don't know what to do with this. How do I, what do I do? And so the staff prayed for me and actually sent me out a bit like a missionary in that moment to say, hey, go do this. We want you to do it. And so I went through all the channels to make that happen, and I did this January. And it has been very hard, and it is so confusing, <laughs> and has unearthed so many things in me that I don't like about myself and that I don't like to think about. Um, but I know that this, in turn, will be what, what I think makes me understand God as Father better. And so how the Trinity works in this is I think that I was compelled by the Holy Spirit to understand God better, and I felt so sustained and strengthened by the Son in all of this. And <clears throat> it wasn't until this morning where God where the Holy Spirit allowed me to look back at that, that I fully understood how the Trinity was so integral in this part. Each of them had a different job, right? God wanted to be known. The Spirit had to convict me or push me in this direction, and the Son had to sustain me. Because I, this is nothing I can do by myself, very obviously. And so this, the Trinity was working in three different ways, but all working together for the same common goal in my life over the last five or six months or a year, if you go back to June, right? So that's a practical explanation of how the Trinity makes sense to us. It works differently. Each, diff each person has a different facet, but they move us forward in the same direction, towards the glorification of Jesus. So uh, this is a complete diversion. I don't know, I'm not an art person. I don't understand it. But Kevin gave me a book the other day that had this picture in it uh, from a Russian monk from the 15th century named Andrei Rublev. And this is the most famous Russian icon, apparently. I couldn't name another one, so I don't know if there's a more famous one. Um, but that's what Wikipedia told me, so we're going with it. Uh, he painted this picture of the Trinity. And what's really cool about it is that, um, I mean, it's maybe a little bit hard to tell because it's in two dimensions, but they're sitting around a round table. When you think of the Lord's Supper, the picture of the Lord's Supper, the table is a rectangle. 
right? Everyone's kind of facing the painter or the camera or the audience. They're, they're facing that one direction. They're all sitting on one side, right? This points to more of an inclusion and more of a cohesiveness of the Trinity. And I think the reason this was the most famous icon is it's kind of the first time that someone made that distinction of saying, they, you know, if they work together so closely and they're so integral to the understanding of each other, then they probably would interact this way in a circle. Uh, the biggest fight I ever had with my wife was about rectangle tables or round tables at our wedding. And I thought that round tables would lead and lend to more conversation. And more, not to say my wife is against conversation. She just very much likes the aesthetics of rectangle tables. Um, I won, and we went with round tables, which is awesome. Um, but I really, <laughs> it was great. I was happy with it. Um, but I do think that the idea of a round table is more inclusive. So even when I asked you to share with your neighbor, like, you have access to about four, maybe five people, right? You like get the person immediately on either side of you, maybe one or two in front of you, one or two behind. Whereas a round table, depending how big it is, you can get ten people that you easily have access to, right? You can talk to. It, it is inclusive. You are facing each other. You are engaged with each other. The author of this book suggests that maybe in the postmodern church, so today's church, maybe we need to meet around round tables in a sanctuary rather than everyone looking in the same direction. I think there's value in that. I don't think that'll happen next Sunday, but I think there's value in that. Because it would mean that we could all look each other in the face as we're learning something and say, I don't know if I agree with that, or can you explain that to me better? That doesn't really lend itself in this kind of, in this kind of setting, right? But the point is, the Trinity likely exists in this way, where they, they or, sorry, it's a good picture and a good image of how the Trinity might exist, right? Around a round table, facing each other, talking with each other. Uh, Henry Nouwen, who is a Dutch theologian, uh, which means he's a person that studies God and he's from the Netherlands. Um, I said Holland in the first, in the first service, uh, and if you know Yanni, she corrected me very lovingly and said, Holland is a province of the Netherlands, and I don't know what province he's from, so that might be wrong to say Holland. So the Netherlands, he's from the Netherlands, and he said this, about this, about this painting. He said, I have never seen the house of love more beautifully expressed than in the icon of the Holy Trinity. And that's another image that I had never given the Trinity before, a house of love. Because we know, and we will very quickly say that God is love. But that also means that the Holy Spirit is love, and that also means that Jesus is love. And so if they are the full embodiment of love, why would they not exist in a house of love? Right? That everything that they, they express love to one another, and through that they express love outwardly to those who need it, and even those who don't need it. I think they don't need it. Everything about them is love. So this idea of a house of love is a really good uh, it, it helped me stretch my mind a little bit in my understanding of the Trinity. So did this. I am not a uh, Greek scholar or a Hebrew scholar, um, but in the same book that Kevin gave me, there is uh, this Greek word that says, uh, it's called perichoresis. And what it means is circle dance, which literally means circle dance. And so this author is Greek, and he tells a story of uh, his wife meeting, coming to the first Christmas family gathering at his house. And after they eat this big supper, um, the family says, let's go sing some songs in the living room. And so the wife, much like many of us, would assume, okay, we're going to sit around 
on the couches and, you know, grandpa's going to sit down or grandma's going to sit down at the piano and play some Silent Night or some Bing Crosby or something like that. This didn't happen. She walked into the living room and the parents were pushing all the furniture to the walls because they're a Greek family and they dance in a circle and they sing happy, loving, loud, boisterous songs. So what he would say is when he thinks of the Trinity, he thinks of this word circle dance because of how they would be facing each other. Let me, let me give you his words about, about the circle. This is about the dance that they do, but he said it's very, it makes a lot of sense when you think of the Trinity in this way too. In a circle, we see each other. No one is left out. We are all interconnected, and we hold each other up. And so what he's saying is, maybe think of the Trinity as this circle dance, or the three of them where they are interconnected, they see each other, they are holding each other this is all in a circular motion, right? We can think of the Trinity in a bunch of different ways. Um, maybe you thought of uh, of the triangle before, right? Where there's like, where it says God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and it says the Holy Spirit is not God, God, or the Father's not the Son, the Son's not the Spirit, but they all are God in the middle or something. They're confusing, right? This idea of the egg that can be confusing. Uh, water can be confusing. Even the circle dance can be a little bit confusing. And so I thought, why not throw another confusing one out there? And so I found something called the, uh, the Celtic Trinity Knot, which is confusing. Um, but also kind of, maybe that's the point, right? Like maybe it's supposed to actually be confusing because everything is linked. So you kind of have the triangle, right? You have the circle. You kind of have the Jesus fish there a little bit in the middle. All of these things together, but they are interlocked. There's no, there's not really a like beginning or an end. There's not really like a, you wouldn't know where to start if you were drawing it. I think it just happened. Um, but that's kind of a cool picture of the Trinity, right? Where it's like, maybe they're so close that they're almost indistinguishable, right? If I was to sit here and say, I heard from God today, or, or God spoke to me in this way, you could probably be okay with me saying, the Holy Spirit spoke to me today, or Jesus spoke to me today, because you'd probably say, oh yeah, I know what he's meaning. Right? Because they're so, they're so close. Because they work together. They exist together. And nothing they do is really that separate. We know this, that they exist together. Um, I have another quote for you that is from another book that I, I don't know who wrote it or what the book is called, but Nathan gave it to me, our pastor at Northsite. It says this, How does God live? What is God like? This is where the Blessed Trinity comes in. We believe that God is communion rather than solitude. It is not a one that is primary, but three. The three comes first. Then because of the intimate relationship between the three comes the one, as expressing the unity of the three. Believing in the Trinity means that at the root of everything that exists and subsists, there is a movement. There is an eternal process of life, of outward movement, of love. Believing in the Trinity means that the truth is on the side of communion rather than exclusion. Consensus translates truth better than imposition. The participation of many is better than the dictate of a single one. So if we are made in the image of the Trinity, I think this means we do things together. I think this means we should be doing things together. I think this means that the body of Christ, which is an, Im- which is an image of togetherness on its own, needs to work together collectively to achieve anything. I think 
that's why the body of Christ image is used, right? It's this, it's this one body, but people play different parts, people have different roles, different skills, different uh, gifts, but we all are working together towards the same goal. I think this also means that exclusion and segregation and separation have no place in the church. Because I think the Trinity is the opposite of that. God could operate on his own, I think, but maybe he can't because of the idea of the Trinity being in community, being in relation to one another and with one another is so integral to the understanding of it. So I think that means that the church is moving towards exclusion or separation or segregation. I think we're doing it wrong. Because I don't think the Trinity would work like that. In fact, being made in the image of the Trinity, I think, means we work like the Trinity does. I also think this means that if community, if, if the Trinity is so community-focused and circle dance-focused, I think it means we're supposed to bring people into that circle. I think it means that when someone doesn't have a family, that the church is there. I think it means that when someone feels alone, the church is there. And that means us. That means all of us. I don't mean the person on stage. I mean all of us. I think that we collectively, as the body of Christ, need to be there for people and aim for community and relationships because that's what the Trinity does. Worship team, you guys can, you can come up. And I want to point this out, that relationship is in our very DNA. There is a reason that God created us with the Trinity and in the Trinity's image. And even how God created man is, is a very intimate thing. Right? God could have snapped his fingers and Adam could have popped up and no one would have questioned it. There was no one else there. I guess that's why. But the way that God created man is he formed him with his hands out of dust and breathed life into Adam's lungs. I mentioned I'm not a language scholar, but I know in Hebrew, a word that is often used uh, for Holy Spirit is breath or wind. So even as we think of God breathing into Adam's lungs, that's a, that's a Trinity-focused exercise. So if relationship is part of our DNA, and if we're supposed to be made in the image of the Trinity, then I think we need to do the things the Trinity does. And I think that largely surrounds inclusion, and pulling people in, and being there for those who are outside of that circle that we need to care for better. 